Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles up to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 5. Well, with 20 minutes on the timer, chapter 5 says that all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. The Lord has said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to the king David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them with, uh, with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel 33 years. So, what they're saying is a couple of things here. First of all, just in terms of the length of his reign, 40 years, seven, uh, seven years and a couple months, uh, he reigned with Hebron as the capital, and then the rest of the time he established Jerusalem as the capital. Uh, it's not too dissimilar, you know, how America's capital was Philadelphia for a little bit, then New York, and then Washington, D.C., as the nation was being established. What's interesting to me is that the elders come and say, we know that, you know, God established you as the king, uh, and we know that, you know, you were the one who was doing all the, the work, God was working through you, and we know all this. And yet, it took them all this time to do this. Uh, There's something interesting to me about that. And it says that they anointed David king over Israel. But hadn't David already been anointed king? Yeah. God told Samuel, go and anoint David to be king over Israel. Now, there's a couple ways that we could look at this. We could say, one, when God sends a person out, he does the actual anointing, calling, sending. And humans just recognize or record this. Um, the, uh, one of the pastors in our group of churches, um, he grew up, I believe he grew up in the Quaker churches, and he was saying how uh, they don't ordain pastors. They merely record. That's what they call it. Instead of being ordained, you were recorded because they say that God already did this. And we're just recording that it happened. That's what that's what they say. Um, I, I'm I'm I try to be really aware of this because you know one of the things that I do for our group of churches is I sit on our um, board of ministry, which is the credentialing uh, team that we have at, at the denominational level, um, and I try to keep that in front of my mind that we don't we don't ordain anyone for ministry. God's the one that calls a person. Now, that being said, there are people who have come and said, well, God told me to do this thing. Okay. Don't automatically expect the church to affirm. <laughs> you know, you, there's a lot of people who come and said, oh, God called me to do this thing. And, and we'll go, maybe. <laughs> we don't know that. But if he called you to do it, go for it. Or, um, are you sure about that? Uh, let me say this. God's never called anybody to go do something that was blatantly sinful. Um, and I've certainly seen people try to blame God for what they want to do. Um, but I think there's something to this, this idea that they're saying, we're going to anoint you king. And really, it was God doing the work. People try to, try to take credit for God's work all the time. And we have nothing to do with it. 
The king and his men, verse 6, marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. Now, what David is doing, you might say, well, what's he doing? Why is he attacking these people? What did they ever do to him? What David is doing is he is finishing the work that was supposed to have been done generations before. That when Joshua led the people into the promised land, God told them, here are the boundaries that I'm giving you, and here is where you are to live. And he said, I want you to take this land. But the people never did. They never fully took the land that God gave them. Never in their entire history, even under David, the height of the, of the Jewish people, the zenith of, of ancient Israel was David and Solomon. And even then, they never took what God had told them to take. Now, that's a controversial issue in our own day. There's this whole thing called Greater Israel that's uh, still kind of a hot-button issue in the Middle East. I'm not trying to get into that so much as to say what David is doing is he's saying, all right, we had Saul, and you know what? David will say only publicly say good things about Saul, but we know that Saul wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And now I'm the king, and I'm going to do what God has given us. And so there were things he did, like he wasn't going to condone the bloodshed. We talked about that a few episodes ago. He wasn't going to condone retributions against Saul and his people. Uh, He wasn't going to condone that. He said, that's not what we're going to be about. He's also establishing, hey, we're going to go and take the land that God gave us. And Jerusalem, this this, uh, city on a hill that was being controlled by the Jebusites, David said, hey, we're taking what God had told us to take. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. So they're taunting him a little bit. They thought David can't get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. Now, Zion, wait a minute, I've heard that. I've heard that in a Bob Marley song. What's going on? Uh, Zion is an ancient name for uh, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, city of, which means city of peace. Salem means peace. Jeru is city. So city of peace. And uh, it's an ancient site. There has been a st- you know, people living there since ancient, ancient times. Um, you might remember from the book of Genesis, uh, Abraham goes and meets with this priest Melchizedek, who was also the king of Salem. Same place. There have been people there from ancient times who have, who have occupied that city. And now David is taking it and claiming it as his capital. And on that day, David said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have the use of the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the lame and blind will not enter the palace. So apparently that was a saying based on history. And what I think is going on here is there are these sayings that as the as the people of Israel came back from the Babylonian captivity, or even in the Babylonian captivity, they had these sayings, but over generations, you know, 70 years of captivity. Why do we say that? And, and so the scribes and the, the rabbis who are compiling, you know, getting the, 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 the new copies of the Torah and the law and the prophets together for the, the synagogues as Israel's being rebuilt, um, they, they added these little commentaries like, hey, this is why. Uh, that's why we have this saying. It's so you understand why we say this thing. Then David took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David, and he built an air, up the area around it from the terraces inward, and it became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent envoys to David, along with the cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Now Hiram is basically trying to make peace with David. And if you only knew, hey, Tyre was actually never, wasn't part of the area God had given the people of Israel. So, you know, God wasn't going to be with David going outside of those borders. 
But Hiram's trying to make peace. And actually, for historically, for a long time, they did have a, a decent relationship through the ancient kingdom. Um, and David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and he was exalted in his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And after... Oh, had, and had exalted his kingdom. So he's saying that God is exalting his kingdom uh, and, and the people of Israel, but it's for his glory. And David knew it. And after he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and had some more sons and daughters that were born to him. The names of the children born to him there uh, were Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elusha, Nepheg, uh, Jamphia, Elshema, Elidad, and Elefeta. Did I say all those names correctly? If I sounded confident, then sure. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines came and spread out over the valley of Repham. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal Parizim, and there he defeated them. As the waters break out, the Lord has broken out my enemies before me. So the palace was, uh, so the place was called Baal Parizim, which uh, which means the Lord who breaks out. And it's interesting that David uses the term Baal, which is the pagan uh, idolatrous term for God, not Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't think he's being wrong here. I think what he's doing is a, is a message to the Philistines. They named the place in the, the Philistines' language. We want you to know what we think. We're letting you know that it was God who broke out against you here. So David's not taking credit for the battles, but he's speaking in a way that is effective to communicate to those outside the kingdom of God. This is something we've talked about quite a bit over the years, is how the church needs to find ways that are effective in communicating to those outside. And there are always people inside the church who say, wait a minute, why are you using, why are you using those words? Why aren't, why aren't you using church words? Because people outside don't understand church words. So David here is being real smart about things. Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the Valley of Rephraim. So they didn't learn their lesson. David, David routed them, said, we didn't do this, God did this, and in their own language, so they could understand, he named the place thus, so he could communicate to them, look, God is on our side. They came back, so David inquired of the Lord. I like that. He asked the Lord again. Just because God told him to do something once, it doesn't mean that it's in perpetuity, that's forever. He said, hey, I got to find out from God, what am I supposed to do? You know, sometimes it's like we, we hear from God once, and then we keep running with it, assuming that God never wants us to do something different. You know, hey, this worked once, it'll work again. I, I appreciate in this moment the humility of David, the wisdom of David, and he acquired again, and, and the Lord said something different. It wasn't the same strategy. Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and tack in front of the poplar trees. And as soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean that the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So what God is saying is, don't go straight at them. Take your force, go around. There's this forested area of poplar trees. So there they are hiding in the forest off to the side of the Philistine army. And then they're to wait. What are they waiting for? 
God says, wait until you hear the sound of marching in the poplar trees. Hmm. Now, what is that? I don't, I don't know for sure. It's, it's not unreasonable to think that what God was telling David and his army was that what you are hearing is the sound of my army marching in, and you better keep up with me. You better keep up. David, God tells David, be quick. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, the Lord has gone out in front of you to start the Philistine army. Keep up with me, David. And that's very possible. I don't think it's a stretch to believe that that's what God was trying to instill on the people. You just had victory. I don't want you to be arrogant. I don't want you to do the same thing just because it worked once before. I've got a different plan this time. And I want to make it clear that I'm the one doing this and you're just trying to keep up. Very likely. So David again brought together the able young men of Israel, 30,000. Uh, 30, this is chapter 6, verse 1. He and his men went from uh, Bahala in Judah to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord Yahweh Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. And if you don't know what the ark is or what it looks like, you can do a Google image search, or you could just watch Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a very accurate representation in terms of the artistic department's recreation. The movie itself, while fun, I don't recommend for theological purposes. Anyway, uh, they go to get the ark, because if you remember, in 1 Samuel, the kingdom declined under Saul. They lost the ark of the covenant in battle. The Philistines took it. Now, God, in his own might and power, got the ark returned to Israel with no help at all from the Israelites. God just made it happen. But the Israelites are like, oh, what do we do with this? And so they just left it at this guy's house. And David is trying to bring the ark back because it's supposed to be in the center of the life of the people. It's supposed to be in the center of the nation's worship of God. It's supposed to go with them when they go into battle. So it says he grabbed all the, the mighty young men together and we're going to go get the ark and we're going to set things right. Because that's kind of what he's doing right now. He's setting things right. So it says, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Okay, that is not how they were supposed to transport it. The law of God was very, very clear about how the ark was supposed to be transported. And, and so as much as, remember a minute ago, I said that the church needs to use ways and means to communicate with the world outside us that are understandable. I don't like it when, when you get these folks that are like... I'm going to only speak in Old King James English, as if anybody understands what that means. I don't like it when, when church people use really big words that aren't clearly understood. And if you do have to use a big word, make sure that it's explained. I don't think we need to dumb down the gospel. I don't think we need to water down the doctrines and theology that God has given us. Not at all. But I do think we have to find a way of speaking in a relevant, understandable way to the culture around us. That being said, we have to stick with God's ways. We have to stick with what God has given us. And there are times where that is uncomfortable because the world around us wants us to change or compromise. And we have to stick with what God has given. And David here is operating in a way that the rest of the world would make sense. The newest, nicest cart this is how we will transport it. It's, it's honoring, isn't it? Because that's what we say. But, but the reality is, is that it's not the way God had given them to do things. It says Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guarding and guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio 
was walking in front of it, and David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums and cymbals. Hi, what? They had guitars and drums? For all the people that are like, we're not going to compromise, we're going to have holy church music, pipe organs and... they, They had guitars and drums here. But anyway, when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark because one of the oxen had stumbled. So an oxen guiding the cart stumbled. The cart looks like it might fall over and just to steady it, Uzzah reaches out and touches it. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. To this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. And Perez Uzzah... Uh, means outbreak against Uzzah. So it's just a marking. This is the place where Uzzah died. But David was also afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him as an entire household. So basically, here's Uzzah who just casually irreverently, with no concern about anything, reaches out and touches the ark. Uzzah's from the house of Abinadab that had been guarding the ark. You get the feeling that he had no reverence for it. And and God killed him. And all of the people, because it's not just like this happened in isolation. David and 30,000 men are marching behind, worshiping God, celebrating, and yet right in front of him, this guy dies just for touching it. God had established certain things as sacred and holy. And we, as New Testament believers, have a hard time grasping this because we have grace and we have access that the Israelites would have never dreamed of having, the bold access to God through through the work of Jesus on the cross. But there are things that are sacred and holy. There there are things that are, are beyond us. And For them, the ark was one of those sacred and holy things not to be touched, not to be considered common. And they had forgotten those things. And I think sometimes we're kind of looking around the church, around our our families, around our own lives, and we're going, why are things not working right? And the truth is, is that we have forgotten some of the things that God has said are sacred and holy, and we haven't lived by them. And and, And Uzzah just kind of went, now, David is mad, and, and as we talked about on Sunday morning recently in the book of Job, it's okay to be honest with God and with each other. And David is being honest. He's mad at God. Why did you kill this man for s- such a small thing, and why did you ruin this day of joy and celebration? But David also has fear, and this is, I think, healthy and holy fear. He says, you know what? I also know that something's going on here. So I appreciate this. David is honest with God. He's open before God. And yet he also isn't, he never crosses this line into like blatant challenge or disrespect. He just says, we're going to leave the ark here and we're going to figure some stuff out. And for three months, it sat at the house of Obed-Edom and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So God's being good. He's, he's, not, he's not just like out to vengefully just strike down everybody. Uh, the house of Obed-Edom is being blessed. But David and his whole situation, there's some processing to be done. And that is okay. 
you know what, even in moments of triumph, even in moments where where we seem to be on top of the world, David has become king of Israel, he's established his capital, he's defeated the Philistines twice, and now he has this big triumph of bringing the ark back into public life. And then this guy dies, and everything seems to fall apart, and he has to work through things with God. And boy, doesn't that feel real and relevant and something that just is applicable to all of us. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Thursdays. If you have any questions about anything we talked about, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. If you have any questions about Faith on Hill Church, you can email office at faithonhill.com. My name's Adam. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.